welcome to the latest episode of the Government Digital Service Podcast. Uh, my name's Angus Montgomery, I'm a senior writer at GDS. Um, for this episode, I'm in this slightly unusual position of uh, interviewing my boss, or the boss of the organisation that I work for. It's um, GDS Director General Kevin Cunnington. Um, Kevin, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Angus. Um, so Kevin, I'd like to talk to you today um, about your time in GDS. So you've been here for getting on for three years, I think, um, and your priorities for GDS as we enter the new financial year and what's, what's coming up over the next year. Um, but before we get on to all of that, um, I'd like to talk to you a bit about your time before GDS and before government, because you've been a technologist or in, involved in digital and technology for your entire career, um, and you've got quite a storied career um, before you joined GDS. Um, I think, first of all, as I understand, you, you studied computer science and you have a master's in artificial intelligence. So what first led you to that subject matter, to sort of wanting to study technology and then develop a career in it? Yeah, so um, I went to a, a boys' grammar school, rather, <laughs> uh, dare I say, stuffy, traditional boys' grammar school, where you really had a choice of doing the arts or the sciences. So yeah. I did the sciences, maths, physics, chemistry, and luckily a bit on the side, general studies. And... Uh, uh, I, I was always fascinated in two areas beyond that, which were computer science yeah. and astrophysics. Yeah. And oh, wow. uh, oddly, at the time, both were equally as bonkers because <laughs> I had never seen a computer. None of us had. No, no boy from my school had ever gone on to study computer science. Yeah. So when I decided that was what I was going to do, I was the first boy ever from my school to study computer science, wow. having never seen a computer. If at the risk of asking a very personal question, and you can answer in general time, what, what sort of general time are we talking about here? Oh, 1979. Right. Oh, yes, wow. I went 7982. Yeah, yeah. So if you're familiar with the history of computer science, we just about invented the BBC Micro yeah. in 79. But the first real personal computer, the IBM XT, 80 XT, came out in 81. Yeah. So, you know, nobody had ever seen a personal computer. <laughs> they existed only as mainframes, really, in large yeah. regional centres that yeah. none of us had ever seen. So taking a punt and doing a degree <laughs> based on something <laughs> I'd never seen before seemed like quite an odd option, really, but it's worked out OK, I'd have to say. <laughs> and your master's as well, because I, mean, I, I, I presume at the same, at, the, at this sort of time, artificial intelligence is in the very early stages of our understanding. What, what was it that drew you to that and what... What was the kind of what was going on in artificial intelligence then, and is it still relevant to what we're talking about today? Uh, no, it was very different then. So you're, you're right to say there was very little work in AI back in '83 uh, when I did my second degree, mm -hmm. and we just had this report called the Lighthill Report, which said largely it was rubbish and it never worked. <laughs> uh, so my timing wasn't perfect, but but my my interest in AI and computing has always been with the effect on people really yeah. and how it kind of works, not necessarily the programming, but the effect of yeah. computing, although I do love programming as well. Um, but it was different then, because we actually used to program AI systems by hand, wow. and these really obscure languages like Prologue and Lisp, which are based <laughs> on quite complicated mathematical constructs, oddly enough, yeah. the last thing you'd expect to be quite natural. And so I spent a whole raft of my master's degree programming Prologue and Lisp on things like chess playing, uh, my thesis was around kind of flexible airport selection. Yeah. So I built this system that learned that if you couldn't go to that airport, which is your favourite, then you'd most likely pick the next one. And right. Therefore, we could offer that as a potential option in the first place. 
Oh, wow. So, yeah, quite ahead of its time. Really. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, obviously um, you were involved in writing programming back then. Is that something you still do today or when you, when you have time or are still involved? No, because, um, because I, well, I started out in programming in the traditional language like mm-hmm. Pascal yeah. and C. Yeah. And actually come Pascal programming COBOL, oddly enough. But my passion was always Prolog and Lisp. Yeah. And since they're no longer really around, yeah, yeah, I yeah. just, you know, wouldn't have the skill set to program in Java or Ruby nowadays. Yeah. So I've not done any for years. Yeah. Really. But yeah. Still, still, still there, still there, the skills, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I'd like to go back to it when I retire kind of thing. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> go back to early 80s artificial intelligence. Um, and then, so after after studying, you, you worked for uh, PwC and... Mm. Um, developed or pioneered their use of Agile methodology. Um, can you tell me a bit more about sort of, again, what Agile methodology was like? And presumably this was sort of mid to late 80s. And what what was Agile yeah. like back then? And how does that relate to what we're doing now and how we use uh, Agile? So um, I think the, the kind of crystallising example is I got sent to this uh, regional city in England to, yeah. to help a large insurer try to automate the process of life insurance, underwriting for life insurance. And people had had a go at that in the past and failed miserably because it's quite complicated. Yeah. Uh, and I was the first person to try it using AI techniques, and it worked. First time in the world it ever worked. And we came out <laughs> with a, a programme that could underwrite life insurance quite comprehensively. Wow. And uh, it was really... So, so that AI was like user researchers now. Right, yeah, yeah. You used to sit down with people. We used to actually video the experts doing their job. And then we used to uh, interactively program up what they told us. And we iterated that over time. So very much like Agile is today. Lots of user research, lots of interaction, lots of feedback, lots of intelligent challenge. And then uh, in, I think it was 92... PwC shipped me off to their, what they called their technology centre in California, in uh, Menlo Park, to write down everything I'd learned about doing AI (laughs) using Agile. And this I duly did. It took me six months to deposit the whole contents of my mind onto a book, which was actually quite big. But that then became PwC's global methodology for developing uh, expert systems, AI systems using Agile. And it was broadly what you'd expect to see today. You know, we said prototypes are important. You need to understand the scope of what you're doing. You need to test and learn. You need to do user research. And it's all not changed very much, if we're being brutal. And it's over, what's that, 25 years. Yeah. Well, it works. So, mm. yeah. So why change it? And um, your and your background, so as well as working at PwC, you work for various other sort of large organisations. So Vodafone, Goldman Sachs. Um, yes. And... It covers your background. Kind of covers large organisations as well as startups and entrepreneurial work. So you've got a, quite a varied kind of work history before you came to the public sector. Um, how do you use that experience in your current role in government? And kind of what are the similarities and differences between that and what you do now? So I think um, you know my kind of original company was PwC, mm-hmm. which was um, a management consultancy, and and apparently. Today, PwC run the best kind of fast-track scheme in the UK. Mm-hmm. And they probably, in fairness to them, did then. And and it was really helpful because as a, a scientist, my ability to write and present and critique, you know, was that of a scientist. Yeah. So I was taught how to present. I was taught how to write. I was yeah. taught how to do analysis. And that was turned out to be a really great start uh, in life. And I spent that broadly best part of a decade doing AI systems. And yeah. as people know, in the 90s when greed was good and lunch was for <laughs> wimps, 
I sold out and went to work for Goldman Sachs in New York and in their trading systems. Yeah. Which, when you say it that way, sounds slightly mad, but all trading systems are written using Agile. Yes. So the fact that I knew how to do Agile at scale and quite quickly and quite well. Yeah. Turned out to be quite a big advantage for them and for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then, as you say, I, I had a spell uh, as an entrepreneur, having been a successful entrepreneur originally, I made quite a bit of money. Uh, most people know I lost 13 million quid on a venture, which I do say to people, if you meet my wife, please don't mention it, because she has stopped mentioning it now. <laughs> at the time, obviously, it was quite traumatic. Yeah. And then I went back to work for Vodafone as their global head of digital before joining the civil service about five years ago now. Yeah. So you joined, so your first role in civil service was with uh, DWP as um, Director General of Business Transformation, is that that's correct, I think? It was. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that role and what, what you were responsible for and what you were doing? Yeah, so um, back in the day, it was called the Director General for Digital Transformation. And right. my, my job was really twofold. The overarching part of the job was how to transform DWP to be fit for digital. Yeah. And, you know, as we know, we did that via the academies and all the rich picture work that we did in creating a vision. But but the really tangible part of my work was helping to recruit, train the digital teams for the big programmes like Universal Credit back yeah. in the day. And that's broadly what I spent the first two and a half years of my civil service life doing. Yeah. So it was kind of bringing bringing people in and building capability, those those two things across the department. Yeah, I'd say the, the big thing we did was bring in the academies. Yes. Which was um, not a new idea. It was an idea we'd used in Vodafone. Yeah. Uh, but in Vodafone, we'd used it to train largely graduates in digital because yeah. even Vodafone couldn't get hold of, hold of enough graduates. Uh, in the civil service, when we first tried it, we, we, we blatantly took the idea and re-implemented it. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't sure whether it'd work. And th- this has been one of the big positives and learnings for me that we tried it on graduates in the civil service. We were trying it on, on, on older people like myself. Yeah. And it wasn't at all clear to me that older people would respond to being retrained in digital. Yeah. But the reality was they loved it because yeah. it gave them a whole new lease of life. It made them feel really modern and updated. Yeah. And they really warmed to it. Yeah. And it's been some of the big successes we've had people put off their retirement because having been retrained, they enjoyed it so much, yeah. they want to carry on working. Yeah. Which, was, yeah. you know, you've never believed that was true. <laughs> but they've been a massive success. Yeah. We've trained um, 10,000 people now in the academies over yeah. the five years. Brilliant. I mean, they first started five years ago, was it, in, in, in DWP? And yeah, 24th of Feb, 2014. Yeah. You've, got, you've even got the dates. <laughs> so it's my birthday, Angus, so it's hard to oh, forget. Right, well, very fortuitous. <laughs> and so that, and again, the academy, the, the the idea of that is is upskilling people with potentially no digital capability or no digital knowledge whatsoever and kind of giving them the skills and potential for a new career. So Yeah, exactly. When I first joined DWP, we were kind of in that twilight of 2013 in the civil service. And mm. I was told DWP, when I think about this now, and I was reminiscing of the day, I must have been incredibly controversial because DWP told me that they got 300 experts in digital. Mm. And uh, after the first few days, I hadn't met one. So mm. I was beginning to get a bit suspicious. <laughs> so I wrote down as a word cloud, the 50 terms you really need to understand to understand digital. And particularly, if you like, the GDS version with Discovery Alpha Beta. Yeah. And challenged the whole of the organisation to say, if somebody could get 50 like I could, yeah. then I would absolutely consider them an expert. And that's fair enough. <laughs> and a lot of people came forward and the highest score was 20. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and you realise, actually, 
we probably are kidding ourselves relative to industry. Yeah. We're not where we think we need to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And at that point, that's how we kind of came to the academy system. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was always better to retrain our folk, even if that was a gamble in the way we described earlier. Yeah. Than it was to kind of, you know, put them to one side and hire a whole set of new people. Yeah, yeah, who yeah. Are part of the civil service culture. But, and th- this again is a really true story. When we first trained people, and then put them back into their departments and their host building. Yeah. People used to say to them, we don't do it like that round here, Kevin. Yeah. So in the end, I got this entire building, a bit like we are here today, in Leeds. And we commandeered the first floor, the ground floor, and we used that to train people in the academy. Yeah. And then we commandeered the next two floors for people to go off and do digital programs. Yeah. So they were entirely sequestrated from the rest of the business. Yeah. Because if they were put in the business, we had this terrific organ rejection. <laughs> and you think about that now, you think that yeah, must have been yeah. incredibly controversial that I set up a building. Yeah. To, 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 yeah, to incubate new way of digital. Thinking. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's all true. And, you know, I, I, again, I was reminiscing the other day, I even stopped people who weren't qualified from going through the academy from doing digital for a while. Oh, wow. Because we had a number of people who thought they knew, you know, yeah. the 300 expert thing again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thought they knew what they were doing. Yeah. And they didn't. Yeah. So I stopped them and yeah. made them get completely trained in the academy. Then I let them crack on. Yeah. And were you seeing, so when, when people were being trained in the academy and then going back into DWP and, and sort of after this sequestering, were you seeing then the change in the department or the, or the capability building? Yeah, I think it took, uh, so in DWP over the first three years, I think we trained 5,000 people yeah. because at peak we were training 3,000 people a year. Yeah. And it was only through, you know, mass re-education, if you like, or mass education yeah. that we got to a point where, you know, these people who knew about digital weren't strange folk anymore. Yeah, they yeah. were more, you know, yeah. the core fabric of the business. Yeah. And it still is a fact that um, 80% of the people we've trained in the academies are really around awareness of digital, yes. not practitioners yes. for digital, yeah. only about... Um, uh, one fifth of people gone to be practitioners. Yeah, but but the majority of the effort was just stopping people from being worried about it or thinking it was alien yeah. or thinking it was different. Yeah, uh, yeah. and eventually critical mass won. Yeah, and we thought digital was part of our DNA. And yeah, if, yeah. if you went into DWP today, you'd never consider doing something that wasn't digital. Yeah. That you would genuinely be digital by default. Yeah, so it's a real culture shift. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. That's great. And um, and obviously while you're at DWP, um, GDS had been around for. Two or three years beforehand. Um, what was your kind of relationship with GDS, and how were you working with them when you were at DWP? So, uh, GDS invented a construct, which I still think to this day is a really good idea, called mm-hmm. digital leaders, mm-hmm. and it was essentially getting all the heads of digital together on a monthly basis, um, chaired by GDS. Yeah, and I was part of that. Yeah, so I was always part of the kind of family. Yeah, uh, G- uh, sorry, DWP did have occasionally some GDS folk working with us yeah. on some of the programmes, but relatively small numbers. Yeah. I think it wasn't until about 2015 that the chair of the digital leaders changed with Chris Ferguson and myself. Mm-hmm. We completely changed the dynamic to say it wasn't just about centre, but the centre yeah. in partnership yeah. with a big department. And and from there, I had a lot more engagement with GDS, yeah. obviously prior to arriving here in GDS. I think it was August, September 2016. Yeah, I think it joined. was. Yeah. And you joined as the first Director General of GDS. And um, 
Well, tell me, tell me about when you joined. What were your sort of first impressions? I mean, obviously you knew the organisation well. You'd been working very closely with it, but actually, sort of coming in the door and and sort of becoming part of GDS. What what were your impressions of it? Oh, it was definitely quite different to DWP. Even though, <laughs> I mean, honestly, we had absolutely mimicked GDS in DWP in our yeah. digital centres by putting up the bunting. Yeah. You know. You know, really ruthlessly just stealing all the good <laughs> ideas. But GDS was just fundamentally purely digital. Yeah. And it was, yeah, incredibly different. It was much more challenging. People yeah. were much more open. Yeah. It wasn't anything like so hierarchical. Yeah. And it was still kind of like a big startup. Yeah, yeah. Back in 16. Yeah. Unlike, you know, where it is now in 19, where it's a, it feels more like an enterprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was way different. And, you know, the statistic today in GDS is 47% of us are in the age bracket of 30 to 40. Oh, right. So that's quite a lot different from, I guess, the general profile of the civil service. Yeah. And particularly DWP. Yeah. So you really did notice it had much more, yeah, much more youth on its side. Yeah. Uh, when you, Immediately when you walked in the door. Yeah. And, what, and when you joined, what were, your, what were your first priorities for, well, for yourself and for GDS? Oh, I, I think th- they've honestly remained the same. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because I had my equivalent from Australia here today to chat. Yeah. Uh, and I was saying the two bits of advice I always consistently give digital organisations, digital companies, countries starting out are one, build capability, yeah. get the academy sorted at scale. <laughs> two, don't start building applications until you've got your identity strategy sorted out. Right. Because if you don't get your identity strategy first and foremost ahead of, then you find yourself in the kind of position we are, which is playing catch up on identity. Yeah. And uh, they're the two, they've always been my two priorities here in GDS. Yeah. Support the Verified Programme, build out the academies. Yeah, brilliant. And um, and what were you, um, when you joined, obviously you, you, you said it was very, very different from DWP. What were the differences in the sense of like moving from a department to the centre and what you could do here? Um, and what you couldn't do from the sense that you could do in departments? Uh, I think the main thing is that I, I, I always felt in DWP, notwithstanding the fact I was running a bigger group, probably two or three times the size of GDS, mm. I wasn't quite as busy, if that makes sense. I had more time to think yeah. about the strategy. And famously, we used to have these Friday morning breakfast meetings with the brain trust quotes around that, where we just used to think about what DWP could look like in 2020, yeah. 2025, 2030. And I think it's taken, you know, as you say, nearly the two and a half, three years I've been here to get to a point where I think I've now got the right structures and management team in place yeah. that I'm actually beginning to free up to think about what is our 2030 vision? Yeah. What is the future of AI in the workplace? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's taken quite, it's taken much longer than I thought it would. Yeah. To get to that point where I've got that same quality of thinking time. Yes. That I had, that you had. in the departments. Yeah. Which is just an interesting observation, really. That is, yeah, that is interesting. And well, in what other ways as well? I mean, you, you obviously, um, in that respect, GDS has changed in, in that you you kind of now have that space to think about that stuff. What, what other ways do you feel that GDS has grown and developed so far in your time here? Well, I think the um, two obvious things you'd highlight is it's much bigger. Mm. It's 860 people a day, and I think it was about 400 when I joined. Yeah. It's off that order, so yeah. it's much bigger. The new building here in Oldgate is just brilliant. Yeah. I think it's made a 
massive change of quality of life for all of us here in GDS. But I think there are some other things as well. Acquiring the academies gave us a national footprint for the first time. Yeah. Um, we so set we have a, academies, sorry, in Leeds and Leeds, Manchester, Newcastle. Yeah. Hopefully, I, I keep saying Bristol out loud <laughs> for the good people of Bristol to hear me. So uh, hopefully that will come true at some point. <laughs> Um, and I think the other thing that's changed is we've now got the introvert network. Yeah. And, of course, we've got the BAME network, yeah. which didn't exist back then. So I think we are, you know, continuing to embrace diversity and inclusion here in GDS. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very obvious thing, that that that's diversity and inclusion is it's something that we talk about a lot in this organisation, rightly so. But I think I've not worked in organisations like this where it's so obvious that, that the organisation cares about that. And I think that's that's really important. And yeah, I'm the same. I think it's in, integral to its DNA. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't... I mean, it's one of the things to take great pride in around GDS. I mean, it's not... I didn't start it, but nevertheless, I feel the real responsibility yeah. of making sure we continue yeah. to be yeah. diverse and inclusive going forward. Definitely. Um, and looking forward, um, because we're recording this um, in April and we're moving on to a new financial year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of work going on in GDS and around government as a whole um, as people prepare for it and as people think about not just the year ahead, but as you've mentioned, the, the 10 or 20 years ahead and, and what we could do. Um, so first of all, could you tell me a little bit about what your priorities are for the next year? Yeah, so in terms of priorities, I generally try and describe GDS, you know, through the lens of history, where mm. in 2012, we started out by digital by default, which was all just about building confidence. That as a civil service, we could insource some of these things and do them. Mm -hmm. The next phase, 2015 onwards, I would say is building capability, that the, the integration of the academies, the gap platforms, all yeah. the things we've done to scale the business. And then I'd say over the last 12, 18 months, we've talked more about transformation, collaboration and innovation. Yeah. And the, um, the kind of slogans we batted off for Sprint last year. Yeah. And so with that in mind, and we've got some big things landing in the very short term. We've got the AI review that we've been doing on how AI could be used in the workforce that we've done in conjunction with DCMS landing yes. over the next few months. Yeah. Uh, we've got the minister's review on innovation and how that could land, although that that report is becoming much broader than innovation. Yeah. It's really kind of uh, front running what I think we'll end up saying as part of SR19 or Spending Review 19. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got quite a big set of tours, really. Yeah. So we've got all the new uh, sprint conferences in the devolved uh, nations, Scotland, yes. Wales, Northern Ireland, which of course we've never done before. Yes. We're doing a special in Leeds, and then of course we're heading home to London in yeah. September. Yeah, and then on the back of that, we've got we're attending every civil service live, doing keynote <laughs> uh, presentations, and we're doing the uh, let's talk about race um, yes. workshops Which is as well towards the end of the month, I think. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, exactly. And then towards the end of the month, we've actually got breaking down barriers. Yeah, which is our um, functional view of how we promote. BAME people mm -hmm. into the SCS within... Mm -hmm. Into senior digital. civil service. So a lot, a lot coming up, yes. a lot of touring and a lot of talking and, uh, yeah, a busy, a busy summer ahead. Um, and as, as we kind of, as you think about your priorities, um, in your opinion, what, can you summarise what GDS is here to do and how that role is developing and how it will develop, I suppose, over the coming years? Yeah, so, um, you know, we've tried to highlight the core values of GDS mm. by putting them into 
pithy slogans, really. Mm-hmm. Show what good looks like. Yeah. And GDS has always been great at showing what good looks like from right from the early days of user research right through to now. Yes. But show what good looks like. Uh, two, slightly new, but to, um, do the hardest things. Yeah. So my view is GDS should be prototyping things today that departments will want to explore in two years' time. Yes. good example of that would be voice activation on gov.uk. Yeah. Uh, third value is around reflecting the society we serve. We talked a lot about uh, diversity, but we also need to encourage SMEs across the UK to work with us. We also need, as GDS, to have a more regional footprint. Yeah. And then the fourth uh, value we talk about is helping government transform. Yeah. And, and, and that, for me, is the one I want to tweak going forward. Mm-hmm. I think our role is not to help, but to lead. Okay. And just be more proactive about... This is what good in the space of biometrics or this is what good in the space of voice activation yeah. looks like. I begin to work more proactively with departments to lay out that roadmap okay, that we ask them to follow. Yeah, yeah. Just be much more proactive in the fourth category. So is that proactive in the sense of sort of actively working on these projects or doing doing these things as exemplars almost? Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. Work, exactly like that. Yeah. It's working yeah. with some departments on exemplars, setting yeah. the standards yeah. and then really encouraging, cajoling even departments to say, well, now we've figured out how to do voice activation of services. Yes. Why wouldn't you make all your major services voice activation board by yeah, yeah, 2027? Yeah. yeah. That yeah. kind of thing. I think the other big shift is the local digital declaration, mm-hmm. yeah. where we're obviously working much more closely nowadays with local authorities, yes. which I think is a really good thing for the UK because citizens interact far more frequently yeah. with local authorities than they do, obviously, central government. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, and finally, um, because we're getting running towards the end of this episode, um, just finish with uh, a couple of, well, I suppose quick fire-ish questions. Um, first of all, what, what's the most challenging part of your job? Oh, quick fire. I'd, I'd be <laughs> disingenuous if I didn't say, you know, keeping your eye on the ball, really. There's yeah. a lot going on. Yeah. And actually just keeping us focused on the core business as well as planning for EU exit, is, is definitely the most difficult. Keeping all the, yeah, keeping, yeah, keeping charge of everything. Yeah. What's the most enjoyable parts? Uh, well, this will come as an irony because most people know I'm quite, and well, I am an introvert. That's why I took up computer science. But mm. I love the touring, if I'm honest. <laughs> I mean, strangely, got a lot of it coming up. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the fact that we're going on tour with, as we said, sprints and yeah. service live, breaking down barriers. I think people also know that. When I was in Vodafone for three and a half years, I didn't spend a single week in the country, in this country. Wow. I was perpetually as the global head somewhere else. Yeah. Looking at stuff in the Czech Republic or Italy. Yeah. And uh, I feel, you know, in the back half of this year, I'd like to do more support our international directorate, Chris yes. Ferguson's directorate. Yes. In flying the flag a little for Britain yeah. overseas. There's a lot of work going on there. Yeah. And showing, yeah. you know, why we why we have done some of the things we've done. And obviously learning from others as we do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that 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 would make me very happy. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And uh, final question, what what's your what are you most proud of from your time at GDS uh, so far? Yeah, there's a there's a huge list, you know, from Gap, <laughs> Gov Wi Fi. All the work we've done on gov.uk for EU exit, which I think has been brilliant. Yeah. The work we've started on innovation, the innovation survey, the innovation landscape, the new pipeline process, local digital declarations, the yeah. publication of the Seven Lenses book, 
uh, being on top of EU exit, the academies, the emerging tech <laughs> development program, the global digital marketplace. I mean, it's just the been, list I goes mean, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You could be doing that for quite a while. Yeah, you? yeah. That's brilliant. I mean, a huge, a huge amount of work, um, a huge amount of development in GDS, and um, yeah, a lot, a lot to talk about. So. Kevin Cunnington, thank you very much for joining us for this podcast episode. It's been really interesting to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you, Angus. So thank you again to Kevin for joining us. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Government Digital Service podcast. Uh, I really hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to listen to future episodes, or in fact, if you want to listen to the episodes that we've done so far, um, please do, do go to wherever it is that you download your podcast episodes from, so Spotify, Apple Music, all those places. Uh, you'll find us there, so um, hit subscribe, and uh, we hope you enjoy what we do in the future. And thank you again, and goodbye. <laughs>